Thank you so much, dear Lord, for the Sabbath that is upon us. Thank you for bringing us safely through another week, for helping us with our school and our studying and our tests. And thank you, Lord, for giving us this sanctuary in time for us to come apart, to rest. And we ask, Lord, that you remove every earthly thought, every worldly care, that you would shut us into your presence, and that you give to us a fresh revelation of Jesus tonight. Please fill this room with the power of your spirit, Lord. Speak to us in a personal and intimate way. And give us spiritual ears to hear what you would have us to hear this evening. And bless us, Lord, as we contemplate what it means to stand firm in the final hours of this world's history in these last days. So please bless us now as we open your holy word. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Our message tonight is part two of last night's presentation. It's entitled, A Life That Could Have Been. A Life That Could Have Been. And last night we introduced it. We introduced the fact that uh, according to our theme, here we stand, that in order for us to stand firm in these last days, when the winds of strife and trouble are blowing upon the world, that we need supernatural and spiritual strength and stability to make it in the last days. Uh, this past Wednesday evening, we had a message entitled, Who Shall Be Able to Stand? And we learned that nothing matters except that question in the last days. There's going to be a group of people described in Revelation that are going to be running and seeking to hide from the face of Jesus. They, they are the ones that are falling. But in contrast to those who are falling, there's a description of a group of people who are standing firm. They're able to look into the face of God without any fear. They're ready for his return. And we learned that in order to be amongst that group, we must be spiritually strong. And so last night in our second message, we talked about the strongest man in the Bible. And we learned that there are two specific things that made him strong. We're dealing with Samson. And for those who were here last night, you remember that the two things that made Samson strong was, number one, Samson understood his identity. His identity was rooted in his origin. His origin was from God. God willed for him to exist. In, in other words, the existence of Samson was called forth by the prophetic word. And we learned that that's the same with us. The secret of our strength is when we understand who we are in Christ, not only as individual children of God, but also as a corporate church, to recognize that we have a prophetic identity, that there's something special that God has called us to do that no one else has done and is doing in these last days. And that was the second thing, the purpose, our identity and our purpose Satan is working overtime to cause us to forget these things because when we forget them, it neutralizes our spiritual strength. And so those were the two things that made Samson strong. But we also learned that the strongest man in the Bible also happened to be the weakest man in the Bible. What made him strong was he understood his identity and purpose. And we're going to see tonight that there were certain things that made Samson weak. And so with that introduction that foundation let's open our bible to the book of judges and we're going to go to the 15th chapter judges chapter 15 and i want you to notice what the bible says here judges chapter 15 in fact we're going to go to chapter uh, 13 first 
And I want you to notice the verse that we left off last night in Judges chapter 13, beginning with verse 25. If you're there and if you're ready to study the Bible, would you please let me know by saying amen. The Bible says here in Judges 13, 25, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move Samson at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. It says the Spirit of the Lord began to move him what? At times. Which reveals to us that even though Samson was so strong in his identity and purpose at first, that the Spirit of God was with him, it tells us that he was moved only at times. Which implies that at other times, he was not moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, this expression, moved at times, indicates that Samson was struggling. He was what? At times, he was moved by the Spirit. At other times, he was moved by his own flesh. At times, he was on fire for the Lord, but at other times, he was living for himself. His life is characterized as what I call roller coaster religion. Spiritual heights of victory, followed by satanic lows of defeat. In other words, his walk was like many of our walks today. Inconsistent, unstable, wavering and fluctuating and vacillating and ever-changing. He was strong, but he was also weak. And I'm wondering if you can relate with that tonight. Friends, do you find yourself moved by the Spirit of God at times? Some days you're spiritually focused, but other days you're distracted by the world. Some days you're on fire for the Lord, but other times you are concerned with more about what other people think about you and you live to guard your reputation. Sometimes you find yourself moved by the message at other times you're bored in church. This was the condition of Samson. It was a lukewarm condition, a double-minded condition, half-hearted. Though Samson was strong, he had some major weaknesses, and we're going to look at that, uh, his weaknesses tonight. We're going to see that it was the weaknesses of Samson that was neutralizing his strength. And we're going to discover that the same things that made Samson weak is what makes many of us weak in our walk with the Lord today. Samson had one main internal problem. And this one main internal problem was revealed by five major external symptoms. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the five external symptoms that reveals to us the main internal problem of Samson. And I hope you brought something to write with. If not, you can ask the Spirit to write it in your mind. But notice, Samson's five external problems were, were these. Number one, he had a problem with his feet. Number two, he had a problem with his eyes. Number three, a problem with his ears. Number four, a problem with his hands. And number five, a problem with his mouth. His feet, his ears, his eyes, his hands, and his mouth. Symptom number one, Samson did not keep his feet from treading on enemy territory. You see, when you study the life of Samson, and we don't have the time to read all the chapters of his life, but you'll notice that in the Bible narrative, Samson was constantly treading on dangerous ground. We find Samson frequenting the Philistine territories of Timnah and Gaza and Sorek. He was flirting with the enemy, dancing with the devil, because he thought that he could freely walk amongst the enemy without being contaminated by the enemy's influence. And that was his first symptom, problem controlling his feet. 
He was attracted to the enemy's territory. He thought that he could stand in the midst of the wickedness around him. But friends, there is a universal law that none of us can escape from. And that law is simply this, that by beholding, do you know the rest? We become changed. Whatever we look upon, think about, converse upon, we become just like that. Our parents used to say, birds of the same feather flock together. It's a universal principle, friends. It's the law of cause and effect. Just like the, the, the Jamaicans, they say, if you lie down with dogs, you'll rise up with fleas. And that's a biblical principle. By beholding, you become changed. And that's the reason why I notice what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away, for they sleep not except they have done some mischief. And their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. The Bible, friends, warns us over and over again to be careful little feet where you go, to choose our companions and our associates wisely, and to avoid the enemy's territory. It says right here in the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 20, he that walks with with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of what? Fools shall be destroyed. And then in Psalms chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Over and over again, the Bible warns us uh, to, to beware of where we allow our feet to take us. This was one of the first weaknesses of Samson. Even though he was physically strong, his weak, his feet were spiritually weak. Be careful, little feet, where you go. I love what it says in the book, Testimonies to the Church, volume 4, page 587. It reads, and notice with me on the screen, the, the influence of association is very great. The link is a mysterious one which binds human hearts together so that the feelings, tastes, and principles of two individuals are closely blended. One catches the spirit and copies the ways and acts of the other. As wax retains the figure of the seal, so the mind, so the what everyone? The mind retains the impression produced by intercourse and association. The influence may be unconscious, yet it is no less powerful. And so one of the lessons we learn from the life of Samson is that we need to be very careful where we allow our feet to take us. And let me tell you, friends, I shared this a little bit last night. But I wasn't born and raised in a Christian home. Uh, my parents never went to church, and uh, I was conceived out of wedlock. And because my mom and dad did not know God, they couldn't give to me that which they didn't have. And so growing up, I had no idea what was God or who was God, totally ignorant of things of, uh, things of, of God. And as a result, I started making very bad decisions in my life. By the time I was in fifth grade, I began to smoke and steal and burglarize, and I was arrested for the first time when I was in fifth grade. Can you imagine that? And life just got worse and worse and worse because I didn't have that strong spiritual foundation. And I'm going to show you a picture of what I used to look like. This was me about 15, 16 years ago in high school. <laughs> if you look into those eyes, there's no life in those eyes. But that was me, a druggie, a chronic, smoking weed every day, burning up my brain cells, and it was because I was hanging around with the wrong crowd. And I'll never forget 
Let me tell you, this person doesn't exist anymore. He's been crucified with Christ. But I was 16 years old when this picture was taken. This is actually my school portrait. I went to high school to get high. That's why they call it high school, right? (laughs) I went to school, but I didn't go to class. But this was me. I just want to show you the contrast of what, what Christ has done. It was in this lost condition that someone came and knocked on my door and invited me to a Bible prophecy seminar. And I went to those meetings night after night, and the Lord began to change my life completely. He gave me victory over it by one prayer over the life of drugs. He had set me free, and, and he awakened in my heart a desire for something more, something more lasting than what the world was offering. And I'll never forget during those meetings, it was, it was a course of four or five week, weeks long, and I continued to go to the meetings, and God was giving me victory. I, I, I gave my life to him. And I'll never forget, a few days after I made the decision to surrender all to the Lord, a friend of mine or an individual that lived in the same house as me, um, she was one that introduced me to a lot of bad things. I don't want to go into too much detail, but I needed a ride to the meeting that night, and so I asked her if she could uh, take me to church. I didn't have a car back then. I was 16 years old. And so I asked her, can you give me a ride to church? And she said, sure, no problem. But first, let's stop by the drug house and pick up a bag. And I I had to tell her, no, I don't do that anymore. I'm done with that. But can you still take me to church? And she said, I'll take you to church, but let's just go there one last time. You don't have to smoke. Just get it for me because she didn't know the person. And and she said, one last time. And I refused. I said, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And I tried to call others to find a ride to church, but I couldn't find anyone to give me a ride to church. She was the only one. And her condition was I needed to pick up, and she said, I won't talk to you about this at all ever again. Just one more time. Isn't that what the devil does? And finally, I was desperate. I wanted to go to church, and so I capitulated. I said, okay, one more time. And after that, don't bother me with this ever again. And I went to that drug house, been there many times before, made the exchange. And as I was leaving, on my my way out of that house, that drug dealer stopped me and he said something to me that he never said before, even though I've been there so many times. He said, hold on, hold on, brother. You know, you come here a lot. Why don't you start selling for me? If you do, you can make a lot of money and you can smoke for free. And he was right. Because a lot of my friends would go through me to get to him. And so here was a temptation. The devil knew that this was his last chance to get me on this area in my life. Why don't you sell for me? You can smoke for free. You can have a lot of money. And by God's grace, I said to him, thanks, but no thanks. I turned around, walked out, and by God's grace, I never looked back. Amen. I shouldn't have gone, but thank the Lord that he is a merciful God. Amen? And he is patient when we grow. But friends, I often think to myself, what would have happened if I had given in to that temptation? Where would my life be today? My life would be very different. And so, my friends, the lesson is be careful, little feet, where you go. You see, Samson did not have spiritual power to control his feet from treading on the forbidden path. 
Association with the heathen weakened his sense of identity and it began to thwart his purpose. And that was his first outward symptom. The second one, you can find it right here in uh, Judges chapter 14. The Bible tells us in verse 1, the second symptom is that he did not guard his eyes from looking upon the forbidden. Notice what it says, Judges 14 verse 1, it says, Now Samson went down to Timnah and what? Saw a woman of Timnah, of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnath, of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Here we find Samson saw a beautiful woman. What he saw in enemy territory stimulated his eyes. It excited his flesh. And instead of looking away, he began to gaze upon that which was forbidden. He began to covet that which was prohibited. Instead of walking by faith, he began to walk by the sight of his eyes. And let me tell you, friends, this was his second outward symptom. The eyes are the window of the mind and the avenue to the soul. And in order to protect our soul, we must protect our mind. And in order to protect our mind, we must protect our eyes. Samson saw, and he, moved, he was moved by his sight. Over and over again, young people, Satan is doing all that he can to cause us to forget our identity and thwart our purpose by exciting us with the lust of the eyes and that's the reason why the Bible says I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes it says in Psalms 119 verse 34 turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way and then Job chapter 31 verse 1 it says I have made a covenant with mine eyes why then should I look upon a young woman be careful little eyes what you see now let me make something clear seeing is not sin. Seeing is not sin. It's sin is, is when we allow the sight of the forbidden to find lodgment in our minds. One preacher said it like this, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest on your head. Isn't that right? In the same way, you can't stop wicked images from, from coming into your eyes all the time. You can't stop evil thoughts from flying into your mind, but you can stop them from lingering and remaining there. So seeing is not sin. But nonetheless, we need to be careful what we allow to come through our eyes. And so the question is, what are you looking upon? What are you watching? By beholding, you become changed. And as Samson beheld the enemy in the enemy territory, his identity became weakened. And he began to forget what his purpose was. Samson did not have spiritual power to control his eyes from looking upon the forbidden. And this is what blinded him, began to blind him from his mission. His third symptom, you can write it down, is that he did not open his ears to godly counsel. He did not open his ears. Notice what his father said in verse 3. Judges 14, verse 3. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Here we find the parents of Samson objecting to his choice in a mate. But Samson would not hear it. He simply responds by saying, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. 
Samson's parents objected to his desire for a Philistine wife. But Samson did not want to hear it. Why? Because Samson knew that this was forbidden. Samson knew that it was a sin to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. He knew that it was spiritually dangerous to link up with one that was an enemy of God. He knew that God could not bless a relationship, that God could not bless a marriage that was contrary to his word. But despite what Samson knew, he persisted in his own way because, friends, what he felt in his flesh was stronger than what he knew in his spirit. Can you relate with that tonight? We know a lot. Those of, those of you who've been brought up in the church and going to church all your life, you have a head perhaps that is full of knowledge and you know a lot, but sometimes in our, in our religious experience, what we know in our mind is weaker than what we feel in our flesh. Just like the song says, our hearts are so prone to wander, so prone to leave the God that we love. Samson closed his ears to, ungod to godly counsel. Not only did he close his ears to the counsel of his parents, he also closed his ears to strong warning. For notice what happens next in verse 5. It says, So Samson went down to Timnath with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnath. Verse, uh, the last part of verse 5. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. Now stop right there. What would you do if you were Samson? You're going down the forbidden path. You're going to, 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 to link yourself up with one that is an enemy of God. And on your way down the wrong path, you see a lion roaring against you. What are you going to do? You would turn around, right? This was a picture taken by a Pakistani photographer. He was on a safari in Pakistan and he saw a lion in the distance. So he got out of the car. And he set up his tripod on the ground and began to take pictures with his long telephoto lens of this lion. But the, 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 the pictures, the sound from the camera began to irritate the lion. So the lion got up and began to charge the photographer. But instead of running away, he stood right there and take, taking the pictures. And he got this incredible shot. And he turned, grabbed his camera, jumped in the vehicle, inches away from the lion, was right there. He almost got eaten. Now, if you saw a lion running uh, towards you and roaring against you, you would turn around. Isn't that right? But Samson, instead of turning around, he still wanted to move forward to get what he wanted. You see, in the lion's roar, Samson should have heard a call to repentance. Samson, you're going the wrong way. You're going down the wrong path. You need to turn around and go back home. But Samson would not hear it. He used his spiritual gifts for selfish purposes. And the Bible says that he tore the lion to pieces as if that lion was a helpless young goat. Samson used his spiritual gifts for selfish purposes. He tore that lion to pieces as if it was a young goat. And friends, it's interesting when I read this story, it's very interesting that the same description of this roaring lion that is like a weak, helpless goat is similar to that of Jesus. For when you read in the book of Revelation, you'll find John the Revelator hearing a lion roar, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when he looks upon the lion, he sees a lamb that it had been slain. And friends, in the same way that Samson had to slay the lion to get what he wanted, 
we too must fight past the cross and crucify Christ in order to get what we want. What Samson did to the lion is what many of us have done to Jesus. What are you using your spiritual gifts for, friends? God has gifted you as young people. Everyone has a talent. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has a purpose. But what are you using it for? Samson is using it to get what he wanted, to satisfy his own desires, to reach his own goals. What Samson did to the lion, many of us have done to Jesus. The Bible tells us that when we sin, we crucify him afresh. You see, Samson wouldn't let anything stop him. He felt like he was strong enough to handle a heathen woman. He would not listen to godly counsel from his parents, nor the strong roar and warning from the lion. He was deaf to the voice of reason. He had an ear problem, and that's why the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, the Bible says, Let him who thinks he stands do what? Take heed. That means listen lest he fall. And then in Isaiah 30, verse 21, God gives us this promise. And you and your ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way. Walk in it, whether you turn to the right hand or you turn to the left. So be careful, little ears, what you hear. We need to make sure that we open our ears to godly counsel, open our ears to hear the Spirit's voice. As I mentioned, my wife and I, we just got back from Tonga, the kingdom of Tonga, just a few days ago. We held a dental and health clinic there during the day, and we had evangelistic meetings at night. And uh, we had a wonderful time there. And uh, during the health clinic, there was a mother that came to the clinic. Here's a picture of us serving the people of Tonga. But there was a mother that came to the clinic bringing her son. And she came to the doctor that was on our team and said, Doctor, can you please check my son's ears? I think there's problems with his ears. He can't hear. There's, there's something wrong because whenever I call him, uh, he, it's, not like, it's not like he can't hear what I'm saying. And you know what happened? The doctor gave a thorough examination of his ears. And guess what was wrong with his ears? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> this young man just wasn't listening to what his mom was saying. He heard, but he did not listen. And too many times we're just like that. We hear the word of God, but we're not listening. We're not responding to it. It's going in one ear and out the other. And so the question is, what are you listening to? Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Samson did not have spiritual power to open his ears to godly counsel. And this is what made him spiritually weak. And I want you to notice, many young people are making that same mistake in this area. In the book Adventist Home, page 61, it reads, Men and women who are otherwise sensible and conscientious close their ears to counsel. They are deaf to the appeals and entreaties of friends and kindred and of the servants of God. The expression of caution or warning in regard, is regarded as impertinent meddling. And the friend who is faithful enough to utter a remonstrance is treated as an enemy. This is talking about in the realm of relationships. Where, where you're sensible on every other point, but when it comes to this area, you're, and you're with the wrong person, you will not hear counsel. You're deaf to the voice of reason. It says, all this is as Satan would have it. He weaves his spell about the soul, and it becomes bewitched, infatuated. Reason lets fall the reins of self-control upon the neck of lust, 
Unsanctified passion bears sway until too late. The victim awakens to a life of misery and bondage. Now that, that's a very strong, strong warning. And so, my brothers and sisters, the lesson we're learning from Samson is that we need to make sure that our ears are open to hear the sweet, still, small voice of the Lord. His ways are best. The fourth symptom, outward symptom of Samson is that he did not stop his hands from handling the unclean. He had weak feet, weak eyes, weak ears, and weak hands. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah 52 verse 11, Depart ye, depart ye, go out from thence, and touch no unclean thing. You Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. See, God has called us to bear the vessels of the Lord. To give the message of the crucified, resurrected, and soon coming Savior in all the world. And in order for us to fulfill the purpose of which we're created, the Bible says that we must be clean because we have a holy message to give to the world. But this Samson did not do. Notice what happened to the lion in verse 8. Verse 8 says, After some time when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they had also eaten. And he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. You see, friends, listen carefully. In touching the, and eating from the unclean lion, Samson was violating his Nazarite vow. We talked about that last night and how Samson was a Nazarite from his birth. And the Nazarite vow included three prohibitions. Three prohibitions in the book of Numbers, chapter 6. And that was they were to not cut their hair. They were to not touch anything that is unclean. And they were to abstain from the fruit of the vine. In other words, the Nazarite was to live a life of consecration and distinction and holiness. And so as Samson eats honey from the unclean carcass of the lion, he's basically violating his Nazarite vow. He's going against his identity and his sacred calling. He's beginning to treat it lightly. And the outward association with the enemy is causing him to rationalize and compromise this commitment. And friends, time is not going to permit for us to cover every detail of his life. But when you follow the Bible narrative, you'll notice Samson repeatedly violating this vow by touching the unclean. His hands were weak and unclean. He touched the unclean jawbone of the donkey in the mountain of Lehi, to the unclean body of the harlot in the crowded city of Gaza, to the strong intoxicating wine in the valleys of Sorek. Samson violated his vows little by little and thus had no power to live out and fulfill the purpose of his existence. Each violation weakened his conscience and separated him from the source of true strength. But even though God was patient and God was merciful, you study his story after 20 years of victory, after his, his near-death experience in Lehi, Samson, the Bible says, judged Israel for the next 20 years. It was a time of victory and a time of peace. But Samson did not learn from his lesson. After 20 years of victory in judging Israel, Samson again ventured on forbidden ground. He sought out a woman in the night. The harlot of Gaza almost proved his ruin. You remember the story. 
At midnight, Samson was awakened, tormented by the accusing voice of conscience, and he found himself trapped in enemy territory with no way out, trapped in the cords of his own sin. But despite his sin, even after knowing better, despite his sin, God gave Samson spiritual strength to break through the guarded gates. For the Bible tells us there is no temptation that God will not provide a way of escape for. And so Samson was able to break loose from Gaza. He tore out the gates. Here we see the mercy of God saving Samson despite his sin. But listen, friends, what Samson did to the gates of Gaza, the enemy was doing to the gates of his heart. The gates of watchfulness were torn from the hinges of righteousness, and now the enemy could come in and out on Samson's life because he did not guard the gate of his heart. His, friends, is a roller coaster religion. Up and down, back and forth, in and out, spiritual heights of victory, followed by spiritual satanic lows of defeat. And now Samson, instead of going up on higher ground, he begins to go down, down, down to the valley of Sorek. He had weak hands, weak eyes, weak ears, weak feet. He also had a weak mouth. And that's the fifth thing. He, could, he did not close his mouth from eating and speaking that which was forbidden. From the contaminating honey that came from the carcass of the unclean lion to the intoxicating wine at his wedding feast, Samson ate that which was forbidden. But it wasn't just what came into his mouth, but also what came out from revealing the secret of his riddle to his betraying wife and then uncovering the secret of his strength to the seductress at Sorek. Samson, friends, had problems with his mouth. He ate and spake that which was forbidden over and over again, violating his Nazarite vow. But friends, these are just external symptoms. Revealing one major internal problem that Samson had. And what was that? You see, the Bible tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. So these external symptoms, problems with his mouth and his eyes and his ears and his hands and his feet was simply an outward symptom of a main internal problem, a problem with his heart. And friends, tonight you may be, be able to relate with Samson. You have weak feet spiritually, weak eyes, weak ears. And so many times we try to focus on those external things. We try to correct the external behaviors of our life. But friends, if the heart is wrong, there's nothing we can do to correct the outward behavior. The issue is an issue of the heart. I'll never forget hearing the story of a man who had an expensive clock. And this clock was very expensive. It had gold and jewels and precious stones inlaid in the clock. And, and one day this clock stopped working. But this man was afraid to go and take this clock to get fixed. He didn't want to risk someone stealing the gold or taking the jewels out. And so he, he, it prevented him from taking it to the clock technician. He didn't want anyone to steal it, the precious gems and gold. And then he thought one day, well, it's the hands that don't work anymore. So why don't I just take the hands? And so what he, that's exactly what he did. He took the hands of the clock off. And he brought it to the clock technician. And he said, I have an expensive clock and these hands stop working. I'm wondering if you can fix it. And the clock technician said, man, if you want that clock to work, you can't bring me the hands. You have to bring me the heart. Because it's the heart 
that causes the hands to move. And that's the same thing in our walk with the Lord. Many times we bring our feet to God, our eyes to God, our ears to God, our hands and our mouth, and we say, God, would you fix this problem? I'm watching the wrong things. I'm listening to the wrong music. I'm going the wrong places. I'm doing things with my hands I ought not do. Would you please help me with these things? But God is saying, don't bring me that. Bring me your heart. It's your heart that I need. And so what was Samson's main internal problem? Here it is. He did not guard his heart from the enemy in disguise. Jump down with me to Judges chapter 16. As we look at that which made Samson weak. Judges 16 and verse 4, the Bible says, And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was, what was her name? Delilah. Delilah. And that word Delilah, it literally means consumer. That's what her name means, to, to be brought low. You see, the outward beauty of this worldly woman of Sorek caught Samson like a fish on a hook. He was intoxicated by lust, drunk with infatuation, and Samson was being reeled in for the kill. And so thus, this strong man of supernatural strength finally meets his match in the beautiful but deadly form of Delilah, consumer, one who brings you low. She was so easy on the eyes, but she was simply the enemy in a beautiful, voluptuous disguise. And if anyone could make Samson forget his identity and stop him from, from fulfilling his purpose, surely it would be Delilah. And the record tells us that Samson loved her, but she did not love him. And for the right price, Delilah committed to selling out Samson to the Philistines. And so it says in Judges 16, now notice with me in verse 15, the Bible says, here's Delilah speaking to Samson. She said to him, how can you say I love you when your what? Heart is not with me. You see, at this point, Samson did not give his whole heart to this woman. Just a part of it. And she's complaining, how can you say you love me when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have, and have not told me where your great strength lies. Three times. She asked him the secret of his strength. And Samson did not reveal it. Samson did not give to her all his heart. And these three times, Samson had clear evidence that she was the enemy in disguise. But Samson trusted in his physical strength, and he felt secure in her arms. But listen, friends. In reality, it wasn't she in his arms. It was he in her arms. And just like a rat, a rat wrapped by, up, up by a snake, Samson was in the arms of Delilah. And at last, he could not escape from her bewitching embrace. And so it says in verse 16, and it came to pass that she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. Verse 17, that he told her how much? All his heart. And said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other men. Friends, listen. In betraying the secret of his strength, lying in his hair, Samson was giving away his commitment to God. 
There was no spiritual virtue or supernatural strength in his long hair. His long hair was simply a symbol of his consecration and his commitment to God. And in sacrificing the symbol, in the indulgence of passion, in making known his secret, Samson was sacrificing his identity as a Nazarite and thus giving away his purpose. In the sacrificing of his identity, Bible says that he became like any other man. And listen carefully, friends. In the same way, when we sacrifice our identity as a Seventh-day Adventist church, we end up becoming like any other church, a fallen church. When we forget who we are and why we're here and where it is God is calling us to go, when we allow the harlots of Babylon to shave off our head, we will lose our supernatural strength as a church. And please listen carefully and don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But someone has to give a warning. Many in the remnant church are sacrificing their God-given prophetic identity at the feet of the harlots of the churches of Babylon. Not long ago, I was in such and such a place, sitting under such and such a professor from such and such a school that gave such and such a theology, theological class, and his, the name of his class was Rethinking Our Mission in a Time of Great Emergence. And in this class, I couldn't believe what my ears were hearing from this Adventist theologian. He was basically saying that the Bible is culturally conditioned rather than divinely inspired. He was saying things like the creation story in Genesis is just a poetic hymn and that God used evolution to create. We can't preach absolute truth. Pastors, you need to stay in your lane because everything is relative. And so instead of preaching the final message, we need to focus on social justice, he said. We need, not, we need to stop emphasizing our distinctives. Let's just focus on social justice. And friends, when you study church history, that's exactly what the churches of Babylon has done. And that's the reason why in the Christian community in general, there's an increase in quantity with these mega churches and giga churches, an increase in membership, but a corresponding decrease in spirituality. Yes, friends, listen, don't misunderstand. We need to stand up for social justice, but never at the cost of the truth. Yes, friends, we need to meet people's felt needs in ministering to people physically and mentally and clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and, and encouraging the discouraged. We need to meet people's felt needs, but we also need to meet their real needs, which is salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not either or, it's and both. Our mission is not simply to heal the world and make it a better place. Our mission is to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord because our world is broken beyond repair. So our message is an evacuation message. We need to get ready, friends. The Lord Jesus is coming. Beware, friends, there's an ecumenical apostasy emerging even within, and some are allowing the harlots of Babylon to cut off their hair and strip us of our identity. This is what Samson did in the re re revelation of his secret. Samson was giving to this woman all his heart. He gave to her what belonged to God alone. Oh, my friends, be careful who you give your heart to. Don't give it to the enemy in disguise. And let me just... Say something practical tonight. Sisters, 
Don't be distracted by the broad shoulders and, and the handsome face of that brother. Because if he does not care about your soul, he's not your soulmate. If he's not a man of God, he's not going to treat you like a woman of God. And in order for him to be ready for you, he must learn, first learn to love like God loves, else he will not be able to love you the way that you deserve and need to be loved. And until he learns that lesson, he's not worthy of your heart. Make sure you don't give your heart to an enemy in disguise. And my brothers, don't be mesmerized by the makeup. If she's just a pretty container... Remember that content is more important than the container. Amen? Amen. Instead of being made up with the makeup, she needs to be filled up with the love of God. Until then, she's not worthy of your love. She's not worthy of your heart. She's not ready for you. And make sure that she is not the enemy in disguise. Sisters, you need to let your life be so hid in Christ that that brother needs to find Christ before he can find you. And brothers, your life needs to be so hid in Christ that that sister must find Christ first before she can find you. Don't make mistakes in this area. I know that in this phase of your life, we're looking, right? We're looking, we're looking, we're praying. But keep your eyes on Jesus. The Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We must learn to wait in order to have spiritual strength. Can you say amen? And so the, the point is that we need to be careful who we give our heart to. Don't give it to the enemy in disguise. And that's what Samson did. He gave to Delilah that which belonged to God alone. And I want us to notice now what Delilah did with his heart. In verse 19, we're almost done. Notice what it says in Judges 16, 19. The Bible says, Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. Oh, man of God, what are you doing sleeping on the knees? of the seductress and my beloved seven of his church what are some of us doing asleep spiritually on the knees of the harlots of babylon bible says she lowered him to sleep on her knees and called for man to shave off the seven locks of his head and she began to torment him and his strength left him and she said the philistines are upon you samson so he awoke from his sleep and said i will go out as before at other times and shake myself free but he did not know that the lord had departed from him now Samson tries to fight like he fought before, but friends, listen, the victories of the past are insufficient to protect us from the temptations of the present. Without a consistent, vital connection with Christ, victory is not possible. Samson gave his heart away, and Delilah brought it low. She consumed it. That's what the name Delilah means, the consumer. He, Samson's own unguarded heart led him right into the hands of the enemy. Be, beware, friends, who you open your heart and your gate to. Be careful. The wise man Solomon describes the danger in Proverbs 6, verse 25 to 28. Notice what it says. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, and let not her allure you with her eyelids. Have you ever been allured by eyelids? For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Do not lust after her beauty in your heart. And then in Proverbs 7, 25 to 28, it says, let not your heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, yea, many, what kind of men? 
Strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way of hell, going down to the chambers of death. Be careful who you give your heart to. That was Samson's main internal problem of which the external problems was simply the result of. And so, friends, the Bible tells us as we get ready to close, keep your heart. Don't give it away so easily. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it is the issues of life. The problem is not with your hands and your eyes and your feet and your ears. It's with our hearts. And so what is God calling us to do? In Proverbs 23, 26, he says, My son, my daughter, give me your heart. And when you give it to Jesus, he's not going to bring it low. He's going to make it whole. So be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little eyes, what you see, little ears, what you hear, little hands, what you handle, little mouth, what you eat and speak, and be careful, little heart, what you desire. Samson had a weak heart because the barriers of principle were broken down by the thrills of pleasure, and union with the strange woman caused him to surrender his identity and his purpose. And so I beg you, my beloved brothers and sisters, be careful who you give your heart to. In Patriots and Prophets 5.67, it says, Physically, Samson was the strongest man upon the earth, but in self-control, integrity, and firmness, he was one of the weakest of men. Many mistake strong passions for strong character, but the truth is that he who is mastered by his passions is a what? Is a weak man. The real greatness of the man is measured by the power of, is, is, is measured by the power of the feelings that he controls, not by those that control him. Samson was able to conquer the enemy without, but he could not conquer the enemy within. And as a result, he lived a life that could have been. A life that could have been. How does the story end? The champion of Israel becomes the sport of the Philistines. His eyes could not see anything but darkness. We see him now with his hands and feet bound by Philistine fetters. His ears could only hear the taunts of the enemy. And in this situation of blindness and darkness because of the foolish choices he'd made, now all he could do was wait upon the Lord. And as he did, God began to renew his strength because let me tell you, our God is a merciful God. His hair begins to grow, and now Samson is brought and displayed as a trophy of victory at the Feast of Dagon. And there, at the 11th hour, Samson prayed one last prayer, and God gave him strength to fulfill his destiny at the 11th hour. And the record tells us that he killed more in his death than he did in his life. What's the implication? The implication is this. Samson could have done so much more, so much more. So much more. How dark and terrible the record of the life, which might have been. A praise to God and a glory to the nation. Had Samson been true to his divine call, the purpose of God could have been accomplished in his honor and exaltation. But he yielded to temptation and proved untrue to his trust, and his mission was fulfilled, how? In defeat, bondage, and death. Samson did not wait upon the Lord. He wanted to live his own life. He wanted to choose his own wife. And as a result, he lived a life that did not reach 
its full potential. Friends, here's the bottom line. There's a lot we can learn from Samson, but here's the bottom line. Just like Samson, God has given to each and every one of us a prophetic identity and a most sacred purpose. He's called us to live a life of devotion and separation and consecration, and God desires to reveal his strength through our weakness. But don't waste your life chasing things that will only destroy you. Don't give, you don't want to give to the enemy that which belongs to God. Don't live a life that could have been. You want to live a life that has no regrets. Amen? You want to make every moment count for eternity. You want to surrender to God your hands and your feet, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, and most importantly, your heart. And that's why the Lord says, my son, my daughter, give me your heart. And tonight, as Esther comes and gets ready to sing a closing song, have you given the Lord your heart? You might have given him your hands and your feet, your eyes, your ears. But does he have your heart tonight? Why shall we give ourselves to him? Because he gave his all for us. I want you to consider, friends, that Jesus gave his mouth to us in speaking words of kindness and compassion. But we would not hear the words that came from his mouth. Jesus also gave his ears to hear our prayer, but instead we filled his ears with taunts and cursings and denials. Our blessed Christ gave his eyes to us. And in response, we showed him nothing but hatred, anger, and rejection. Jesus also gave his hands to heal us, his feet to walk with us, and instead of accepting it, we nailed those hands and feet to the cross. And most importantly, Jesus gave his heart. And we pierced it with the spear of our rejection. Humanity was so physically strong to crucify the Creator. But in reality, we were so weak. But Christ's physical weakness on the cross was our spiritual strength and so today he gave his life for you let's give our life to him let's surrender let's allow God to take full control I want to make a special invitation a special appeal tonight to give your whole heart to God now, I believe that many of you have already done that, but I believe that there are many in this room that have not. He has your hands, perhaps your feet, but not your heart. So tonight, as your heads are bowed, as your eyes are closed, I invite you to pray in your heart and surrender it to the Lord. As you listen to the words of this song, give Jesus your heart tonight. As your heads are bowed, as your eyes are closed. Before we pray, I believe that many of us have already surrendered all to the Lord. Tonight, He has your heart. If you've already made that decision, 
Commit yourself once again and stay where you are. But there might, I believe there is others who have not yet come to that point of full surrender. And tonight, the Holy Spirit has convicted you that you need to make that decision. You don't want to live a life that could have been. You don't want to come to the end of your life and realize that you did not reach your full potential. And you recognize that the only way you can live a life that reaches its full potential is if Jesus has your heart because when he has your heart, he'll have your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears. He'll have everything. And tonight you want to surrender and say, yes, Lord, tonight I'm giving you my whole heart. That one area of my life that I've been withholding from you tonight, I want you to take it, God. Because I recognize that, that that unsurrendered area is what is robbing me from peace. And I want you to be in control now. Because you gave all for me. I want to give all to you. Is there someone here like that tonight? If so, would you raise your hand and say, yes, Lord. I'm surrendering all to you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God bless you. Lord, you see our hands. Lord, you see our hearts. Would you please take it? We don't have the strength to give it to you. Take our hearts, Lord. It is already your property. Make it clean. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing our feet to walk upon enemy territory. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing our eyes to gaze upon the forbidden, for watching things that corrupt the mind and destroy the soul. Forgive us, Lord, for closing our ears to your voice and opening them to the enemy. Forgive us, Lord, for using our hands to get what we want instead of glorifying you. Forgive us, Lord, for the things we've allowed to come in and out of our mouth. But more than that, Lord, tonight we realize that those are just symptoms of a heart condition. And tonight we pray that you'll take our hearts. Make us your children. We don't want to live a life that might have been, could have been, should have been, but was not. We want a life of strength, spiritual stability. And so, Lord, help us to never forget our identity. And we stand asking that you would fulfill your purpose in us and through us in these last days. Thank you for your mercy and for your forgiveness. Bless us now as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.